everybody. Welcome to the show today. Triple Up Politics here. Hope you all had a happy St. Patrick's Day. Maybe if you're fully vaccinated, you went out, actually got to have a pint while you're out. Or maybe you went to Allen Thistle and had some fish and chips or something. Anyway, hope you enjoyed. Uh, so over this last week, uh, there's been more polling on uh, the American Rescue Plan, according to 538, 75 to 70 to 75% of people approve of the American Rescue Plan. And uh, more approving of the vaccine in general, so more people are starting to say that they'll take the vaccine. And here in Western Washington, or here in Washington, we can go to sports again. We're going to 50% or uh, 50% capacity in restaurants, so it's phase three, 25% uh, at sporting events, outdoor sporting events. So that is going to be a big change, but we're inching closer to that finish line, hopefully. That's the sign of things to come. Um, and then 4th of July being a target date by the Biden administration. I think about all the talking points. Uh, like, we've claimed independence yet again on Independence Day from this virus. So I think that's uh, an <laughs> interesting interesting 4th uh, of July inaug- or, uh, inauguration, uh, Independence Day speech that uh, Biden has the opportunity to give. Anyway, how's it going, Sean? I didn't have you say hello. Hello, hello. I'm doing good. And uh, yeah, no, it's exciting that we're talking about 4th of July. I think it's actually reasonable based on where we're at in the vaccination process. There there are things that are a little scary. You know, you're looking at Minnesota having a pretty large outbreak of a new variant uh, that's spreading amongst children, uh, yeah. which is concerning, especially as we're starting to open up schools all over. You still have Texas and Mississippi being a bunch of fucking idiots. So, you know, I I don't want to jump completely into the shallow end head first with excitement. But I do think there's a reason for cautious optimism, at least. Cautious optimism. That's been the the key this last year (laughs) of everything. Like we were talking last week, people are burning masks. So it's it's just kind of adds into that cautious optimism. And like we were saying, hopefully beforehand, we were talking about Cascadia. Hopefully we could uh, kind of have some, uh, <laughs> have a border around that with, you know, uh, that we, we, we do well in the, uh, uh, compared to the rest of the country <laughs> and continue to do what we do best, hopefully. It's all we can control. Yeah. Although even that, I mean, airports are just bustling again and there's millions of people flying every day all of a sudden. It broke a record. Yeah. it You know, those kind of things are are not what we need to be doing right now and uh, our rates continue to go up they're they're not spiking like they have in the past but we have a slow incline in the number of rates uh, across the country so where i want to be excited and as somebody that's vaccinated i want to you know engage more with the world again uh, i think we have to be smart enough to recognize that until we get a larger percent of our population uh, vaccinated we need to slow down. We need to chill <laughs> through the spring uh, and allow the weather to help us out. And towards the end of spring, then we can actually start to celebrate a little bit and get out uh, in the summer and, and enjoy some barbecues outside and, and do those kind of things through the summer where we're still being cautious, but uh, enjoying being around each other again uh, in safe ways. What we're doing right now is just stupidity. And I, I get it. But it, it reminds me of a rookie who uh, just broke away for like a 60-yard run and decides to start flaunting it on the two-yard line and getting the ball punched out through the back of the end zone. And what do you know? Yeah. You just turned it over. 
that that's where I feel like we're at in this moment. Yep. Cocky, arrogant, just shut the fuck up and get over the get over the fucking goal line and then we can celebrate. It's just kind of funny cuz you're you're right. It's like we're we're almost essentially there. And now it's like, yeah, let's go travel, you know, let's go tra- go traveling to other countries. Let's go traveling to Mexico. All we have to do is wait just a couple more months. Yeah. Just a couple more months. And you still get to do a little bit more during that during those three months, yeah. right? Like you can do a little bit more. Just don't be a fucking idiot and fly all over yeah. the country. Keep your mask on and, you know, don't take it off unless you're around people that are fully vaccinated. It's not hard. Right. Not hard. But unfortunately it is. And we got to live with that. Hopefully with with our topic today, we could cancel coronavirus because we're going to talk about cancel culture. <laughs> seamless, seamless transition, Levon. Seamless. Absolutely. <laughs> so. Cancel culture. Whew. So this is uh, one that we are going to chew on a little bit because there's no really no nothing really measurable about it, right? It, it's just kind of say you know there's figures in the news or whatever that will say I've been canceled or they're trying to cancel Dr. Seuss or they're trying to cancel George Washington or whatever it may be. So for us, it's hard to draw a line because everybody's going to have the line drawn differently. Um, I'll let you take it from here. <laughs> when it comes to cancel culture, I, I I really struggle personally. I think there are some areas where it's really clear and obvious uh, why we're canceling something. And then I think there are times where it becomes really difficult to know uh, where that line is. And even how to rationalize that or, or make sense of it in my own brain. So, you know, a, a couple of the things I really struggle with. One... You know, I have no problem with tearing down statues of Confederate generals and shit. Like, that makes complete sense to me. But then, if you want to start talking about tearing down statues of um, George Washington or other forefathers of this country, I really struggle with that, right? Even though I've said many times on this pod that I recognize they're pricks. They were slave owners. Uh, they literally hunted down their slaves to make sure that they stayed in servitude. Uh, So I I get that they were not good men. And yet at the same time, they are part of the history of this country. And, and how do we acknowledge what they did give us as a nation and the fact that they were not all good men all the time, right? That they, they did some really shitty things. How do we teach that history honestly uh, and openly? Because I think that's really one of the only ways we're going to heal in this country is to be able to do that. So I think there's value in having these conversations. I, I just don't know the value of, of tearing down that statue. Yeah. I think the important part of like the statue tearing or tearing down of statues is that it does bring attention to that figure and why there's anger about that person in history should we be erasing people in history hell to the no we should not be good or bad because like you said we got to learn from that so yeah i think that it's important to look at the message of why the people are tearing down the statues why that is the case why that anger is in place so i think there's another question that i that i need help answering then which is then whose statue stands Uh, Because in reality, I've 
got little faith that if we dig into anyone's history, if we dig into anyone's closet, right, we are going to find skeletons. We are going to find out that when, you know, Sean South was six years old, he dressed up as a hobo for Halloween, right? And believe me, there's worse skeletons in my closet. But my point is, where, whose statue stays uh, once we yeah. get into this? And, and how does, because I agree with you, we bring up the conversation and that's a good thing, right? Let's have the conversation. But, but whose statue remains and who is left as a hero? Who do I point at for my children to look to as someone that was worthwhile? Right. If Dr. Seuss is a fucking evil genius and George Washington is a slave owning piece of crap and who, where, who? Well, and that's the thing is we learn from the context of the times, I think, because, you know, there's that uh, that with Looney Tunes, there's that three little pigs scene or whatever with with the big bad wolf. And he's pretending to be a Jewish person and very uh very caricaturized uh, Jewish person. And it's just one of those things like, yeah, it doesn't really belong on TV anymore. Right. Especially given the context of that time when I think probably when Jewish people were being rounded up in, in Nazi Germany and putting uh, in, you know, were being put to death right in the Holocaust. So that's just one of those things, right. Where as a society, when, like you're saying, it's like, when we look back on it, like, yeah, I mean, like, we did win win against Nazism. We did win against fascism in that war. So it's like, well, yeah, we get to write the history of that. <laughs> so we, we beat Nazism. We beat Hitler. And so I think that's, that, given the context of the time, yeah, Walt Disney, Dr. Seuss, the Looney Tunes, all that, that <laughs> it was incredibly racist. <laughs> incredibly. Yeah, and I think I, I, think I find it easier... <laughs> to look at kind of pop culture issues differently, right? Because they are a product of their time and it tells us something about the history of that time period, but they tend to work themselves out of our of our daily consciousness, right? Like when was the last time you watched a Looney Tunes cartoon, right? And what's the likelihood that that characterization would even be on today? And what, you know, other than pulling it up on YouTube under a search of like racist cartoons, how likely are you to run into that? Unlike a statue that we have in prominent places for us to to travel and see, right? Historical locations. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and not only that, but like some of those Confederate statues that you brought up, um, even some of the, even some other figures in history, right? They were done, they were put there purposely to torture black people in the South. They weren't put up after the war. They were put up long after the war. Yeah. And it was, and, and as a, as a person of color, it, having to see that every single day, that it's like my, that person is the representation of them of killing my family or, you know, victimizing my family and terrorizing my family and my, my ancestors or even direct relatives. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. And I, you know, when we talk about like Nazi Germany and, uh, the Confederacy, those those are not difficult issues, right? Like, you're a traitor to the nation. You clearly supported slavery uh, or the annihilation of, of whole races. And, you know, it's, it's not hard to make a decision for me around getting rid 
of those symbols of, of hate and treachery like that that's just not hard uh, those conversations are not the the hard conversations for me uh, are around individuals who who did give to our society uh, in positive ways and who also had some really horrible pieces of their past or you know if you want to talk more recent you know individuals that say and do really stupid shit you know where's the line of of forgiveness and opportunity for someone to learn from their mistakes. I get wanting to respond to somebody's uh, ignorance. I get wanting to to react uh, when somebody is being a racist or sexist or homophobic, and, and we should. We should not remain silent. But does that person not deserve an opportunity to grow um, and to to make amends for their own ignorance or stupidity? And that is a struggle for me because I don't know where that line is. And can you trust that person? I, I get it. But at the same time, if we want to grow as a society, if we want to get better, if we actually want to get past some of this shit, then we have to believe that someone who holds racist beliefs today can be better tomorrow or else we might as well just throw in the fucking towel and be done with it. And I think that's my biggest struggle. I think that's kind of where we are, unfortunately, with this. And that's why I think that conservatives and the, and the Republican Party have pivoted to this this talking point with the culture wars because they feel like that's the only place they can win. That's another thing about this is that they're able to spin off of what they say by saying, well, you're canceling me. You're canceling what I'm saying. Well, no, we're bringing attention to what you said because what you said was kind of racist, like you're saying, right? So there is that, but there is that room. Yes, that person can learn from it. But it's it, we shouldn't we're in this outrage culture though, and I think that's brought on with the internet and stuff like that, where somebody say, says something, and outrage, outrage ensues. So I think that's the thing. That's the part of this is that when people get outraged, it gets everybody into their corners, and then it's used as a political ploy, ploy to uh, then base base a political party around. <laughs> and I agree on both both sides of this, right? You know, like. Yes, it is. I find it frustrating when people say racist things, homophobic things, of course. But like you said, where's that line? Where do we say this person can still learn, but like it's that learning sort of approach like, hey, maybe you shouldn't say those things <laughs> instead of you fucking racist, you know, you fucking this and that, you know, then it gets everybody in their corners and then it manifests into this into this monster where now they're, you know, a major political party is starting to use it as a platform. Yeah. And I think the, the platform comes back to this idea of like having to be PC, right? Uh, the Republican party in particular has leaned on this concept of, you know, political correctness is making it so we can't have any real conversations. And, uh, and that is really just talking points uh, to allow you to say stupid racist shit. And you should be called out for that. But I, I also struggle with the flip side of that is once you've said it, you're worthless and I'm not going to listen to you anymore. And I, I think in terms of you talking about people just kind of hunkering into their corners, it doesn't allow us to advance anything. We are so segmented and, and segregated really along these lines that it's, it's scary in terms of how do we fix anything? If we can't have an acceptance that people are going to make mistakes and say stupid things, 
and and sometimes it's not a mistake, right? Like that's going to be the argument. That's that's what people are going to say is they know exactly what they're saying. And, and for those people, yeah, they're assholes. But is that is that literally everyone that fucks up and says something stupid or or doesn't have uh, a good understanding of why something is offensive? I find it hard to believe that that's every single person. And if it is, again, we're fucked because we're not going to change anything. This is not a new thing. Like, you you know, hitting on that point, this is not a new thing because the political correctness, that language, it's the same thing. Cancel culture, political correctness. It's been, it's been part of politics to be used as a, as a way of saying, of spinning off of things like you're saying. I think there's slight difference in those two. Yes. And, I, and I'll put it as this way, you know, back in the day, I, I think Roseanne Barr is, the, is a prime example, right, of the difference between political correctness and cancel culture. Back in the day, Roseanne Barr goes out and just fucking butchers the national anthem, right? Like, oh my God, shut the fuck, like, oh, horrible, no, right? Um, and decides to like, didn't she like grab herself and spit or something, right? Oh, it's as she walks weird. off to it's, booze. It's so bizarre. Yeah. Okay, so really a lack of PC, and she took a lot of flack for that. However, she still maintained a TV show um, that lasted for quite some time after that and came back like two decades later. Yeah. To which it again was at the top of, of the charts, right? Like she was making lots of money. And then she goes out and is an idiot once again and starts making stupid racist comments, right? The result of... Blames it on her sleeping pills or whatever. Whatever it was. But the result of, the result of that was cancel culture, right? The result of that ended up with her being eliminated from that show and really disappearing from uh, our kind of collective conscious. And I think that's the difference between kind of that 80s, 90s, early aughts, PC talking point versus where we're at now in cancel culture where there there's enough power and really comes back to social media. But there's enough power in social media that enough people can line up that advertisers are like, yeah, we're not we're not going to deal with this. Right. You can boycott. You can do all this stuff that we just didn't have the organizing power to do for each of these individual issues back in the day. Yeah. And the, the thing is with that too, when someone does ultimately get canceled and it's, it, it may happen on the left too, but you mostly see it on the right, of course, is that this person becomes then a folk hero stood up to the world and they're a true American, whatever, but it seems like they make them into a folk hero. Yeah. The, how many of those actually last for very long though? Because I agree. Yeah. Roseanne, Roseanne, again, there were people that really wanted to kind of stand behind her and prop her up and uh, all of that. But ultimately her career is over. And when was the last time other than this pod, you heard her name come up? <laughs> yeah. It's just kind of funny. You see that template though, play out though. Uh, uh, yeah. Somebody, somebody ultimately gets canceled and then it's, Oh, they're, you know, but like you said, it doesn't last too long because this is not a winning strategy. Focusing on these culture wars will not, will, it will not win. Right. So just like making these people into folk heroes, it won't win. Right. Just like what, what, the the one I'm really going towards were focusing on when I say that they become folk heroes was that Kim, I forgot her name when she refused to issue gay marriage licenses in Kentucky. 
Oh, you're talking about the court clerk? Yeah. So I'm, the, then the Republic or the, you know, conservatives made her into a folk hero, blah, 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 blah. I think she ran for some other office. You guys might want to check in on my facts on this, but then she lost in a landslide. I feel like, I feel like a <laughs> lot of people are going to want to check in on your facts on this. Yes, but I just know that she ran... Or maybe she was holding office, one held office, and then got voted out in a landslide. But regardless, I don't see her in politics anymore. I don't see her name anymore. So Yeah, but she was nobody before she did that. Before, exactly. But that's what I mean is there's like this power of like making this, you know, the person becomes the, you know, becomes the, becomes the, the focal point. And so that's kind of the, you know, where, where we run to our corners and then. But the thing is, ultimately, it doesn't win. It does not win. And it doesn't win in politics and policies or really uh, with progression at all. So, You know, you're saying it doesn't win, but I, I think I'm going to disagree with that in a lot of ways because I, I think... I should say, wait, 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 wait. It won't win in the end. It won't win in the end. Yeah, and that, that may be more accurate because I, I do think that the culture wars have traditionally very slowly and with lots of backstepping progressed over the years so ultimately i think that progress is progress it's going to happen we're going to learn and we're going to move forward and uh and that's going to be in more acceptance and and all of those kind of things that's what history tells us at least now will it be painful and will there be lots of um, side steps and back steps and fights and, and falls and all of that. Of course there will be, but yeah, progress marches on. It is just slow and painful. So I agree with that. But I, I also think that the Republican Party has, has weaponized this culture war fight to be really effective for them. Because once again, we, we are not looking up at the problem. We are looking at our neighbor as the problem. And, and that is not where the problem lies, Right. Like, my problem does not exist in federal way. It exists on fucking Mercer Island or wherever Jeff Bezos lives. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, oh, yeah. And, and so that that's the issue is that we continue to have these conversations about issues that, that matter, but they are not the biggest issue that impacts our daily life, like every single one of our daily life, except for, you know, the point zero 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 one percent Right. Right. And that's that's kind of what I was talking about last week is that the donor class, the ruling class, they want us focused on these culture wars because the heat is taken off of them. Mm-hmm. And so I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, Republican donors are saying, yeah, talk about those culture wars. Talk about how liberals want to cancel everybody. So the heat's taken off of us. Don't you dare say anything about, you know, cor- you know corporatocracy of this country. Don't you dare talk about health care. Don't you dare talk about that stuff. Mm-hmm. Talk about how, how the liberals want to cancel everybody. <laughs> yeah, it, it is a great distraction. And and yet, we, we also are not going to progress uh, effectively as a society if we don't heal some of the wounds that these issues are responding to. Right? Like, most of cancel culture is really based around isms. Right. It's sexism. It's heterosexism. It's racism. Uh, those are the issues that cancel culture is really responding to. And and we do need to talk about those things. We, we do need to have Absolutely. those conversations in an open and real way. I, I'm just 
again, I come back to where are those lines? How much grace do we give each other in terms of failing in those conversations? Because, you know, as, as a white dude that comes from privilege, how do I have a conversation about race without fucking up a few times? Not because Mm -hmm. I don't believe it, right? Like not because I don't recognize that that's what I come from, but because I don't have the language, I don't have the experience to know what that feels like or understand it. So without grace, uh, for for one another in these in these moments, how how do we how do we grow? And and that's mm-hmm. my fear around cancel culture is that we lose an opportunity to extend grace. We have to have yep. the conversation, but without grace, how do we how do we move forward? And I think there's two things to that. So. One is recognizing privilege, absolutely, especially as white men, <laughs> to know what that means, right? So I'll take, for example, myself. Like I grew up in a, a area that is uh, very diverse. Uh, 98188 is a uh, very diverse, the most diverse zip code in, in, the, in I, I believe, in the country that, again, you could check, my stat, check the stats on that, but that's what I've heard. So I, I wear that as a badge of honor, but at the same time, I still even in a diverse area had learning experiences when it came to race and other cultures and so on. So absolutely. I think that's the first thing is to check your own privilege, to check where, you know, why things may be the way they are in your perspective, right. And why they may be different from others. And I think the second part is the question is kind of, or the answer is kind of in the question, right? So I think as time marches on, as we're talking, and we progress, those lines start to get a little bit more clear with this. I think it takes, again, going back to, and it takes time. And like as of right now, uh, even still with, with like the Nazi symbol, we as a society don't see that to be acceptable, right? Even though, you know, you'll see, you know, it more prominently in, in, you know, Unite the Right rallies or whatever, it's still not an acceptable symbol by corporations, <laughs> by by media companies it's just it's not so and it never will be and never should be right (laughs) so i think that's that's sort of the thing to look at there is that as time moves on yeah there's going to be some things that could become a little bit more clearer well i think yeah we're we're always going to be learning from our past there's no doubt about that and i think we're continuing to progress as a society even recognizing symbols like the confederate flag as a racist symbol and you know i i think nascar moving away from uh the confederate flag was was a huge statement after the murder of george floyd and kind of the summer of racial uprising uh, that we had and and i think that statement meant a lot because that came from a really conservative organization right the the nascar world um is a really white conservative world. And so I think that is a a step forward from a corporate standpoint, right? Money talks, uh, especially in our corporatocracy, as you put it. And so those kinds of things mean something and we're headed in the right direction there. But we're far from what Germany did uh, after the fall of Hitler in terms of literally outlawing those symbols and tearing those symbols down. Uh, America has never done that. And, and I believe that that's a step that we could take uh, as a nation to really make a statement, right? Um, is, is to literally just 
strip that out of our culture uh, and Mm -hmm. name it for what it is. And if you want to argue states' rights uh, around the Confederacy, you're a fucking idiot and go read a history book. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And so like, that's the thing, right? Is, you know, it's always that balance with, with, with our democracy in particular of, yeah, I mean, Germany did. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Germany did wonderful in that. And they, and they, yes, there's still, you know, there's still museums that you could visit and see these, you know, that part of, of history, but they put it in a context, right? Like you're saying, they put it in a context like this was a terrible part of our freaking history. It, it belongs there, but we can still learn from it. Because we, you know, we people from all over the world that will travel to, you know, see see some of this history. I mean, Auschwitz is a is a museum, right? And you know, on a side note, my dad had went there, and it's in Poland. I no, is it in Poland? I'm pretty sure okay. it is. Yeah, I think it's Poland. Okay, he he went to Auschwitz, and he said it was the most incredible overpowering experience he's ever been in that to know that history took place there those ghosts of our past are there as a as humanity and it is it's just i think that that part is important to to have those experiences as well when it comes to these historical places like myself i went to that the battle of little bighorn my dad took me there when i was like 14 years old and even at 14 years old, you're standing there. It's like, God, this is where a lot of Native Americans were, were massacred. Indig- the you know indigenous people of this country were just massacred by this General Custer. So, it I think that's that sort of thing. Maybe I'm getting at there is Germany did well in in doing in saying like, yeah, the Nazi shit. We we aren't going to display that anywhere. We will not have any tolerance that, that anybody will display that anywhere. But at the same time there is important history lessons. Yeah, and I don't I don't think running away from that is the answer for sure. Like we we have to have those reckonings in all societies, we have to have those reckonings uh in terms of of facing our history. I I just don't think that we I don't think that we've done that yet in the US. Right. We haven't had that real conversation yet. You know, after the Civil War, there was really kind of this attempt by the North to just placate the South into falling back in line and allowing segregation and Jim Crow and all of those things to live on as a way uh, of kind of maintaining the union instead of uh, kind of telling the South to suck it up. You fucking lost and deal with it. Right. Like take your flags down and tuck your tail and run home. And maybe that was the failure uh, essentially in a way with Lincoln. That was was the failure of of white men. I mean, this country, white land-owning men, right? It was the failure of the fucking bourgeoisie. That's what it was the failure of. And it was the North's recognition that they had to have the South uh, to stay alive as a nation economically. And it's the South's recognition that they had to have the North to do the same thing. And not only that, they they did really well in sowing a false narrative that the, the war was about culture again, culture war, right? When it, no, it was about slavery. <laughs> Your culture was slavery. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, you, you spoke to um, your dad's experience and, and kind of being in history. And I, I know I've never been to any of those sites, but just going through the Holocaust museum 
and Washington mm-hmm. DC is is a really powerful experience, right? And and getting a sense of the history um uh, it's just really mind-blowing um what what inhumanity existed and you know it it's somewhat sad that we don't have a, equivalent um experiences for what african slaves brought to the americans experienced right we we don't have those same types of experiences in our in our own culture uh, and so you know there's there's probably some racial issues behind that even right in, in terms of of why we are more willing to talk about um, the injustice of the holocaust and our unwillingness to talk about the injustice of the american holocaust of the native peoples whose land we stole and then of the injustice of uh, the african people who we enslaved to cultivate that stolen land right like we just choose to ignore that conversation. And that, I think that's why maybe the conservatives may are maybe resistant towards some of those, the, you know, the statues or whatever being torn down because it's hard for maybe them to recognize that our country did that shit. You know, that this country is founded on that. And I like like you're saying, like I, I kind of tied those two together that, you know, with the Holocaust and, and the genocide of the indigenous people in the United States because... It, it's it's the same thing what it's it's incredible what humans are capable of both good and bad right it's sad that we are capable of just essentially wiping out another race of people in an instant what's scary though is that comes from our ability to other right to to not mm-hmm. see ourselves in another human being and what I think scares me in this conversation around cancel culture is that we see how inhumane we can be when we other other human beings, right? When when we other the the Jewish people in Germany, we have a Holocaust, and when we other the the natives in this country and, and call them savages in Canada, and yeah. Well, and let's just say North America. Well, North America. in the Americas, in the Americas, yeah. right? I mean, but the issue is that we we create the othering of those peoples, and and that's what we're doing in cancel culture as well, right? We are othering. We and we are not allowing for the idea that that person has equal footing in the world as me, that they are my equal as a human being, that yes. they too have fault as do I, and that they too have value. And I I think that is the essence of my fear around cancel culture is not that we shouldn't call people's behavior out, but that we, we cannot move to a place where we just end them, right? Like we're not willing to accept that they have value or merit or opportunity to grow. And by doing that, we only continue to polarize our society and the Mm -hmm. more polarized we are the more fear i have around what does that mean in terms of violence towards one another look at the hate crime rates over the last five years and in particular look at them in the last year they 
are skyrocketing as we become more and more polarized. And that's not going to change because we cancel a few people who say really stupid racist shit. It's not. Maybe actually pulling those people in and having a real conversation with them and seeing if there's an opportunity for them to grow and learn and bring others along with them who share similar views, that might just be a better approach. Um, and, and yet I understand that the anger, right? And, and people's unwillingness to wait, because I think especially when it comes to racism in this country, but many other things, uh, many other isms, if you will, I think people feel like we have waited far too fucking long to just have another conversation. And I can understand that too, but yet how do we move forward without doing it? If somebody can answer that question, then maybe I'm, I'm more willing to engage in this idea of just tuning people out completely and sticking them away. But until somebody can tell me how we actually make a difference without bringing those people in, without creating some on-ramp for those individuals to, to get it, I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I fear what that means if we don't have that opportunity. <sighs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, again, it, it is, it's just, it, it, unfortunately, it does take the trial and error of things. And I, I should say on a side note, what I, you know, in light of what you're saying, I shouldn't say it's just conservatives that get upset with the statue thing and stuff like that. It's it's all it's across the political spectrum. So just want to be clear on that. But yeah, I think I think you hit a lot of points there. That if we're constantly in our corners, we're constantly in a fight, right? To take that sports metaphor, if we're constantly in a corner, we're constantly in a fight. And so again, it distracts from the overall overall issues in in society of income inequality workers' rights being abused, which affects all races in the lower socioeconomic status, right? So I, I think that's the thing is there's a lot of uniting to do around issues that, uh, but unfortunately, like you're saying, uh, there's so many issues that divide in between that. But yeah, you're absolutely right on that. It's how do we have the conversation who leads that conversation? Who brings it to the to the forefront? And and how do we face our demons together, uh, as humanity? Right, because we are together in that as well, right? Whether you're conservative, liberal, libertarian, uh, socialist, however you want to classify yourself in politics, we do face that as humanity together. What well, we did, so, yeah, I like the way this conversation went. There, there's so much fear around failure in this country, right? There, there really has just been ingrained in the, especially white American culture, that failure is something to be feared and hated and judged. And I think part of the problem is that mentality just does not work if you want to get better. Like, that does not work if we are going to... To create a more perfect union, we cannot be be afraid of our failures. We cannot be afraid to learn from our past. And I think that there are a lot of people who don't want to have these conversations because they just want to believe that America is the greatest country on God's green earth. And that that's it, right? That's, that's what America is. And no, we, we are simply a country on God's green earth. And we 
like every other nation that has existed before us and that will ever exist after are imperfect and we will have an imperfect union forever and so let's own up to that and actually start to learn from it an imperfect union that makes us more perfect but never are we are we perfect and then and maybe that's perfection is to recognize we'll never be perfect i think it's a good step forward i'm kind of yeah swinging that around but yeah the, we'll wrap this up but yeah, that's that's the story of nationalism. I think in a, in a nutshell, any sort of nationalism, it's hiding behind something. It's it's just like with somebody you know who who wants to mask something in their life by you know putting out all this good stuff about them. Like, no, no, how dare you disagree with me? How dare you say that I'm like that? It's just like nation, that's nationalism too. Like, no, we're, yeah, we're trying to mask something. So, yeah, America anyway. is just one. Well, American history written by white people is one big Instagram post, right? Every, everything looks fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm on a beach all the fucking mm-hmm. time. Uh, and yep. little do you know that my ass is sitting in my kid's sandbox outside. Well, I like the way this conversation went. I think we're struggling for a little bit there to get going on it. But I think with with the way we put it in, in the uh, reflect on in history, uh, it's, it's again, it's how we learned. Anyway. So shall we wrap up, wrap down, Mr. Sean? Let's do it. All right. What are you looking forward to or looking out for this next week? I'm going to play golf for the first time uh-huh. in like two years, I think. Uh, going out with Steven. And the last time I played golf, I had gone out with Steven. So looking forward to that. A little bit of time with the nephew. Uh then a sports weekend, taking an advantage of a Seawolves game, watching Gonzaga, and just enjoying a weekend. You know, also, I, I've i really been enjoying work here recently. I haven't been putting in a, a ton of hours, but it's been a really good stretch uh, at work. So where I'm looking forward to a little bit more sleep, I'm just kind of enjoying good. where I'm at overall. Yeah, good. I know that you weren't sleeping well last time we were. Yeah. You know, and, something you're looking forward to last time is getting more sleep. Yeah, man, I'm still there. I, uh, You know, and it's not even that I'm sleeping bad. I just, I'm working long days and I'm emotionally spent. Not in a bad way, just drained because of uh, the energy I'm putting into stuff. So it's a it's a good tired, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been there. Absolutely. So, yeah, uh, I'm looking for a day of rugby on Saturday. So, we got them in the morning, England versus Ireland, Six Nations rugby. Oh, yeah, it's going to be fun. That's going to be fun. And then in the Seawolves later on. And then on Sunday, it's USA is playing an Olympic qualifier for soccer. So, it'll be interesting to see. Kind of a sports weekend. Like, yeah, things are kind of like. Is that the men's team or the women's team? Men's team. So they'll probably win one, you know, two one against Costa Rica or whoever it is. Uh, I think they're playing uh, one of those, like the like Trinidad Tobago or some, somebody like that. So it's going to be a close game, of course, when it should be a absolute shelling. But <laughs> but no, it's going to be a close game because it's the USA men's team. And all of our good athletes go elsewhere, or what? Uh, yeah. So the <laughs> Olympic Olympic qualifying is twenty one uh, is twenty one under. So you don't even have like Jordan Morris on there. You don't even have. Christian Roldan or whoever, you know. I don't think even Pulisic is 
I think he's even older than 21 now. I could be wrong. Again, a lot of, a lot of facts to, to, to check on this episode, everybody. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah. Well, anything else, Sean? I think I'm spent. All right. Well, we're drained emotionally in a good way because we talked about an important subject. Anyway, this has been Levon and Sean for Trickle Up Politics. Y'all stay beautiful and brilliant out there, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.